Hello, and welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting, and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. Given all that has happened in 2020 and the continuing uncertainty in 2021 arising from the global pandemic, we expect that investors are going to be looking at how companies and auditors are comfortable that a going concern basis of accounting is appropriate, and the disclosures around it. Hilary Eastman in Podcast 101 identified it as one of the three most topical areas of interest for investors. So maybe unsurprisingly, going concern is an area that others are looking at as well. The New Zealand Accounting Standards Board has amended its standards, which are equivalent to IFRS standards, to specify additional disclosure requirements relating to going concern. The International Auditing and Assurance Standards Board, the IAASB, has an ongoing consultation of a discussion paper on the expectation gap relating to fraud and going concern in an audit, which closes for comments on the 1st of February. And they've also now started two projects to take these topics forward. On the 13th of January, the IASB published educational material with a focus on the disclosure requirements related to going concern. And the IFRIC have also had a question to consider about how to report if an entity is not a going concern at the February meeting. So with me today to discuss the issues around going concern, I have two guests, Katie Woods, a director in PwC Accounting Consulting Services, and Jamie Shannon, a director in PwC's Global Assurance Quality Team. So let me first welcome Katie back to IFRS Talks. Katie's an IFRS Talks veteran, and ask you to tell us about the ISB's going concern educational material. Yeah, of course. And uh, lovely to be back uh, in the, the podcast studio or the virtual podcast studio anyway. <laughs> so, yes, as you say, the ISB issued educational material earlier on in January. And it's worth saying that this isn't standard setting. This is just to help those preparing financial statements to make sure that they're really thinking about, as a consequence probably of the environment or definitely of the environment we're in, what should be thought about from a disclosure perspective. So, we're clearly in a distressed economic environment due primarily to the pandemic, some entities will be seeing a significant downturn in results. So unfortunately, that will raise questions on the entity's ability to continue as a going concern. What the educational material does, it picks up on the need or the possible need for more judgment, therefore, to be made. And clearly, if you've got more judgments, then the requirements in IS1 and other standards is that that would lead to more disclosures in the financial statements. And I guess, Jamie, that's something that you'd be looking at from, from an audit perspective as well, wouldn't you? Absolutely, Katie, and, and happy to be able to join you on this podcast today. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Auditors are going to be looking very carefully at the the sufficiency of disclosures that are being made. Again, a bit like the IASB, this is an area that's getting additional focus. The IAASB has issued its own guidance, just reminding auditors of the things they need to be thinking about. And certainly the, the adequacy of disclosures is, is certainly right at the top of that list. Yeah, and so there's lots of support out there, I guess, and I think that's what we're we're hoping to highlight to listeners 
today. I mean, interestingly, there is a going concern question that is uh, to be considered or will have been considered by the IFRIC at the February meeting. And that, again, is looking at disclosure. This time, it's it's looking at an entity that has started as a going concern in the comparative period, but is deemed not a going concern in the current period, and what happens to the comparative disclosures, and we'll see where the IFRIC, where the IFRIC gets to in that. Yeah. So what does IS1 want entities or require entities to, to disclose? It, it requires disclosure of the fact that the entity is a going concern, or indeed, if there's a material uncertainty, that must be disclosed relating to that entity's ability to act as a going concern. But there is more than that. That was highlighted. And so it's not just this current environment. It was highlighted at the as by an IFRIC agenda decision in, in 2014. And it's not just an annual assessment. So this assessment is both for the annual or any interim financial statements that are are issued. And it's the assessment to continue as, the, as a going concern. And that will be unless management intends to liquidate the entity or cease trading, or it has no realistic alternative. Um, it cannot continue as a going concern. And not an area that I think think we probably need to go into Andrea today but that then puts it into a whole different reporting environment. So the numbers looking at the numbers in the paragraphs paragraph 26 what does it require it requires factors to be considered so that's current and expected profitability of the entity repayment of any financing or indeed the possibility of gaining new financing and the educational material then looks at the areas that you might need to think about for those factors so for example times of shutdown so if entities have had to shut down as a consequence of the economic environment or the pandemic or there's been a curtailment of activities as a consequence of that and that might be because of government restrictions i mean currently in the uk we're in in pretty much a lockdown and certain entities are just not able to trade but it might also be government restrictions or government support and how those have impacted the business and bring that into the assessment of the going concern disclosure or sorry the assessment of going concern so these factors are sounding very familiar to most of our listeners I imagine as well which we might not have expected you know a year or two ago yeah, indeed. I guess from an audit perspective, they're going to be impacted as well or, or be part of what the auditors would look at, wouldn't they, Jamie? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, th I think this is a really important point. The, the factors or the risk conditions that both entities and auditors might naturally have thought about in the past, they may be different now. There may be additional ones that if we go back 12, 18 months, you would never have even contemplated thinking about so i think i think it's really important that actually both companies and auditors are thinking more broadly what are the the potential factors they need to be thinking about and um, that could have an impact and going concern have they been thought about and assessed and if required have they been disclosed mm, yeah indeed so yeah. there's a lot of linkage there yeah so how far ahead do they need to look yeah, well, it's always a good question. And there's a reference to 12 months from the end of the reporting period in IS1, but that is definitely not an absolute period. And Andrea, you, you mentioned the New Zealand regulator putting out going concern guidance, but other local regulators will be highlighting a period that's deemed 
probably a minimum rather than an absolute period that needs to be looked at in relation to that going concern assessment. But, but don't forget that there's not just the period that's being reported on for, for the balance sheet, year, balance sheet reporting period, but also don't forget IS 10 on post balance sheet events. In there, there's a need for management's assessment of going concern after that balance sheet date, but up to the date of authorization. So it doesn't just stop at the, the balance sheet date. There's this assessment needs to continue over that period through to authorization. Sort of focused on the going concern requirements, but IS1 also, as we all know, looks at significant judgments and estimates. And clearly, judgments about the amounts recognised are going to have to be considered uh, specifically in this time of going concern assessments. And what and the that's the and that's where the educational guidance is, is coming in, is it? Absolutely, yeah. So there's um, some really good guidance there. It picks up on four possible scenarios. So it starts with an entity that is clearly liquid and there is no concern over the going concern assessment. And it goes all the way down to an entity that is deemed not a going concern. So those are the two sort of extremes. But then it really focuses on two other scenarios. The first one is a situation where an entity does have material uncertainty in relation to the going concern assessment. However, the mitigating factors that have been put in place have then overturned or, or, or addressed that material uncertainty. And to that end, there's no need to give the disclosure of that material uncertainty. And it picks up on the fact that there are clearly going to be judgments around there. And that was also covered by the 2014 agenda decision by the IFRIC. The other scenario is where the, the mitigation that's been put in place by management is insufficient to cover those material uncertainties. So that material uncertainty would be disclosed, the assessment by management, but also clearly there are going to be judgments around that and giving disclosures of that uh, and those requirements in that area. And I, I guess that's really linking closely into what the auditors are doing, Jamie, as well, isn't it? Yes, yes, that that's absolutely right. I thought the description of the scenarios and the the guidance that was issued was actually really useful. Um, the one that resonated most for me, which I, which I'll elaborate on a little in a, in a in a moment, was that scenario you described, where there are events or conditions, but the mitigating actions management has taken or can take has led them to conclude there is no material uncertainty, and actually. That's, that's a great thing, obviously, but the significant judgments involved there um, are still really important and still an area that auditors are required by the auditing standards to focus on. As I say, I'll, I'll explain that in a little more detail in a, in a moment or two. Mm, absolutely. And and so we've, we've focused a lot on judgments, but also in IS1, there's the requirement to disclose any related estimation uncertainty. So, for example, informations on assumptions about the future that include that estimation uncertainty is going to be disclosed. So, I guess that the key takeaway I have from this education material is it's really good to read those scenarios and think about the impact on disclosures of those scenarios. But also disclosure is going to be key in relation to this year's reporting period, as it is in so many others. Great. Thank you, Katie. So, Jamie, you said you'd tell us a little bit more about um, when you've concluded that there is no material uncertainty. 
tell us a bit about that? Sure. So, so maybe just to start off by saying, as Katie also said about the, the accounting guidance, there's no change here to the auditing standards. So this is really just emphasising what, what's required in the current economic conditions. So auditors have to obtain sufficient appropriate audit evidence about the appropriateness of management's judgments and their disclosures. And I think that's one of the really important points is that the disclosures themselves are important, but auditors are going to want to see the evidence behind them. So, so having that backup and support for, for what is being disclosed is actually really, really quite critical. So auditors are going to looking at the adequacy of the disclosures. And as I said, when a material uncertainty exists, they'll be looking for details of explaining the nature of the uncertainty, the potential impact it could have, what mitigating actions management has taken or could take, and the, the conclusions and judgments that were made in coming to, to that decision that it's still appropriate to use the, the going concern basis of preparation. But the, the, the scenario I alluded to, it's almost equally as important in coming to that conclusion that there are no material uncertainties, those significant judgments are still important and, as Katie pointed out, still need to be disclosed in the financial statements. And auditors are going to, to equally address the adequacy of those disclosures. Um, and often, often they are just as important as, as describing a, a material uncertainty. Yeah, and I guess, Jamie, from the, the disclosure perspective, you almost think, oh, we're happy, there's no material uncertainty, let's move on, rather mm -hmm. than all of those judgments that underlie the, to make sure that the mitigating actions mean that the material uncertainty is, is no longer uh, an issue. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think sometimes that's an area that gets less focused than, um, as you say, you conclude you've got material uncertainty, so there's then a kind of big push about the, the disclosures to make sure you get that right. But that other situation, as I say, just as important. One one point I, I wanted to, to pick up on what Katie talked about, um, which was around the, the period of assessment, that's actually one of the areas of focus in the IWSP's discussion paper that you referred to, Andrea. So that, that that's one of those questions about, is that 12-month period still appropriate? Are there any changes needed in that area? And the other thing that, that Katie talked about, the IASB guidance refers to as the dynamic assessment. I think it's really important to emphasise that the consideration of the events and conditions doesn't stop at the balance sheet date. It does go right up to the date that the financial statements are approved. And from the audit perspective, that's also important because the auditor needs to be evaluating whether management has made that assessment right up to the date where, where they actually sign. And also, that's also the date at, the, at which the auditor's report is going to be signed. So it's, it's, it's really important that things that happen after the year end also need to be considered just as much as, as things that maybe happened, happened during the year. Good point. The, the last point I was just going to very briefly mention was actually what then happens with all of this, with the auditor's report itself. So clearly, if there is a material uncertainty, the auditor's required to, to describe that in a specific section of the auditor's report, and that's going to, to cross-refer and point to the disclosures that management's made in the financial statements. 
But again, just linking back into that scenario I mentioned where you conclude there isn't a material uncertainty, sometimes those disclosures can still be pretty important and the auditor may conclude that they are of fundamental importance to users' understanding of the financial statements as a whole. So, so they may still actually conclude they should include an emphasis of matter within the auditor's report, again, just to direct people's attention to those disclosures, just, just to, to aid the understanding of the financial statements. So that, that was the kind of key point from the audit side that I wanted to highlight, Andrea. Great, thank you, Jamie. So lots to think about in this year's financial statements. Looking further ahead, though, can we have a look at what's happening in the future? So the IWASB has a consultation at the moment about the expectation gap. So can you tell us a little bit about that consultation and maybe when we can expect to see changes from that consultation? Sure. So, so yes, so the discussion papers exploring, as you say, the expectation gap. So it's really what do people think auditors do? in relation to going concern and also fraud, it's covering two topics, as compared to actually what the standards require auditors to do. So it's exploring a number of things, the concept of material uncertainty, its meaning, is that fully understood, the, the period of assessment that I mentioned. It's also looking at things like the concept of viability and resilience, so something that people in the UK might be fairly up to speed with, but not 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 used globally. So exploring whether more can be done in, in those areas. I think it's important to stress that these aren't just auditing issues alone. So audit's part of a corporate reporting ecosystem. So the discussion paper does highlight that actually addressing some of these concerns around the expectation gap is probably going to need concerted effort by everyone in that ecosystem. So auditors, preparers, standard setters, regulators, it's, it's going to be a, a collective effort. You asked about timescales. Standard setting is not a quick process, I think it's fair to say. So the RFSB has this discussion paper. They've also launched a new project in Going Concern. That will, that will reflect on the feedback. There'll be further outreach. We are, however, looking probably a few years down the line before if, if changes are going to be made, which, which is, is, is not certain, it depends on, on how this all unfolds, but we are looking several years down the line before there would be any change to, to, to the actual requirements for, for auditors. Okay, thanks, Jamie. And, and Katie, um, from an accounting point of view, what, what changes might we see in the future on this? Well, from a going concern perspective rather than the expectation gap. The educational material does actually refer to the ISB agenda consultation, which is taking place quarter one, quarter two this year. So we would expect it to be within that agenda consultation. Though I guess, just like Jamie said, standard setting is never quick. So that will also be changes sometime into the future. Oh, absolutely agree. Yes. I mean, to have it on the agenda consultation is, is great. But as you say, it will be a couple of years with no doubt. Great. So those things are slightly further in the future. For this year, it sounds like we need to be focusing on the disclosures and how the auditors are looking at it. So thanks for giving us the insights there. And thank you to both of you for joining me in this podcast. Thanks to all our listeners and stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. 
This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.